I'm Bryce Butler from Access Ventures, and this is More Than Profit, a show where I talk with founders, investors, entrepreneurs, and leaders of all kinds about living and working with purpose, how they do it, and why. Uh, welcome back to More Than Profit, and uh, this season, we're actually not doing a season. We're, we're jumping straight into episode 38. Uh, and what we're going to do now, if you're a listener of More Than Profit, is we're going to do a story a month, and we're going to connect with... Uh, interesting people, investors, entrepreneurs, activists, uh, academics around uh, issues they care about and and talk with them and and learn about what who they are as individuals as well as kind of what they're working on. And so I'm excited this month because at Access Ventures, we've launched a new initiative, uh, a marketing campaign in Louisville and Southern Indiana called NoHomelessness.com, uh, K-N-O-W Homelessness.com. And it was really born out of a, a, an initiative that we've been working on for the past three or four years around housing insecurity. Um, uh, we've talked about it before here, but the Reconstruct Challenge, looking at issues of affordability and housing and solutions and interventions that we could actually deploy and, and assess the efficacies of, of the impact. No homelessness really came out of uh, our analysis uh, in the market and looking at just myths, um, the way people have uh it personified homelessness in their in their minds and what they've chosen to believe or what they've been told is true about people experiencing homelessness. And, and, and oftentimes it's the person under the bridge. It's the person with a, uh, with a cardboard sign asking for money. Um, but the, the story is, is so much different than that. Uh, the story is very personal for many people. Um, in Louisville specifically, two times the national average on evictions, um, children in our public school systems experiencing homelessness on a daily basis. Uh, 45% of people that are experiencing homelessness actually have a job. Uh, and so I think if we actually confront these statistics with reality, hopefully, and the goal with it is hopefully, we'll be moved to, to empathy and action. And so... Uh, this month on the podcast, I'm excited to have Marcus Stubbs, and he is an advocate. Uh, he's an academic. He's he's getting his PhD at Bellarmine University, um, and he's a human being that's experienced uh, many of the things that we're going to talk about on a, on a very personal level. In fact, uh, he's one of the the people that uh, we showcase in the stories. Um, and so, I want to kind of tee up this first question. Uh, and this first bit of a conversation with, with a clip uh, from that video. So let's go ahead and roll that. When I was a child and I looked outside of, you know, the car window, seeing people that were in that impoverished state, I just never thought like, hey, this could be us. And then at that very moment when we got evicted, this was a shock to all of us. It can happen to anyone. I saw struggle. We needed help and fast. Well, Marcus, welcome to the podcast. And and your story is, is, is powerful. Uh, it's personal, uh, which I appreciate. And that's one of the things that... Um, the team we worked on with, with at Curtis Creative uh, to try to help tell these stories was to humanize that experience of people that have have lived it, uh, people that have overcome it, people that are still struggling with it, um, and your 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 story in particular and how it's moved you into kind of your current work is powerful. And I want to get to the the current work, but I really want to start um, with kind of what you're talking about there. Um, and you say it could happen to anyone. 
Can you can you maybe talk about that a little bit? Like, what what did you mean by by that when you said that? Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for allowing me to be on this podcast. This is actually a pleasure just to be with you today. So again, thank you for the invitation. Um, and yes, uh, when I first when thinking about the question that you've asked, um, anyone can end up homeless because anyone can be at least one to two paychecks away from being in a homeless state. And when you think about it, there are a myriad of ways to become homeless, whether you may be wealthy or maybe, like I said, you're one, two paychecks away, including things like furlough, including Mm -hmm. things like losing your job in the midst of like what's happening now, the pandemic, uh, due to disability or, you know, any medical bills. We know that it's very expensive, Um, you know, and things of that nature where, say, for instance, you're a single parent um, or a parent that is going through a domestic dispute. Uh, with another uh, uh, person. And so we have to have an understanding that this can happen to anyone and not just someone that has a little bit more wealth than someone else. Yeah, and I think that's, it's super helpful because I think even the statistics, we've talked about it here around financial inclusion uh, and some of the work we do at Access, but you know, the latest statistic is that almost 50% of Americans don't know where a $400 emergency bill would come from. Mm. And so when you say that, you know, one to two paychecks, 400 bucks, I mean, like, so if some, if you go to the emergency room and you have a $400 bill or your car breaks down and you need new tires, $400, yeah, almost 50% of Americans don't know where that would come from. And so when you, when we're talking about that type of, mm. uh, of critical emergency cash, and especially now in the midst of a pandemic when people are furloughed or utility bills or, or whatever it may be, I think oftentimes homelessness is, is relocated to what really is defined as the chronically homeless. Like, you know what I mean? And I yeah. think that's, and, and, and when I say chronically homeless, and I'd love, you know, for you to kind of expound on it a little bit, but sure. chronically homeless are people that um, generally have, uh, they've been homeless for a longer period of yes. time. Yes. They have a multiplicity of issues, yes. uh, normally mental health issues, substance use disorder issues. Uh, and, and so it's, it's a compounding effect. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they are the ones that you, generally think of when you think of homeless under the bridge or whatever. Um, but really homelessness as, as a thing, as an experience, um, is broader than that. Um, so talk to me a little bit, like how, when you think about homeless or as you work with, uh, community organizations or as you're talking with clients or people, how do you explain this, this idea of homelessness? What does that look like? Yeah, first, we, we have to acknowledge that there is issues such as homelessness, um, whether it's anywhere, right? Um, and when we look and venture into, like, what does homeless homelessness looks like, we have to actually, you know, ask. That's the one of the first steps, knowing, right? Um, and uh, educating oneself, right? Um, actually looking at the services that are out there that are actually helping people that are in homeless situations, get guidance on knowing what one may be going through. Um, And so in lieu of all that, definitely if you ever have a chance to help someone that's in a situation, ask them about their story Hmm. instead of perceiving or putting your own uh, thoughts on, oh, they may be just because they're they're probably lazy, that's why, you Hmm. know, or... No, they, they put themselves in that situation. I don't believe them. They, you know, they're telling me all this stuff. I think they're just being lazy. And yeah, that that's probably why they're homeless. We can't have that type of mechanism of thought. We have to allow their stories 
to be, first of all, spoken about, right? And we listening in and then caring, right? We may not have all the solutions in the world or um, all the uh, thoughts of like, this is probably why they were in a homeless state, you know, you know, things of that nature, because it's such a big piece to chew on, mm-hmm. right? We, there's no one set solution. So when we're breaking down the myths and debunking those myths, we, uh, we have to understand that one of the first steps to doing that is educating oneself. So, uh, and then when you were talking about chronically homelessness, right? Um, one of the things for sure is, well, what does chronically homeless look like? And some of the things that you've mentioned have that chronically homeless, you know, state when it comes to like just living under a bridge or not receiving the services uh, due to either their choice or not knowing, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, or not living in a shelter that has services set up for them. Um, and so we have to look at those people and say, we, they need our help. They need, uh, to understand what services are there for them. And then also respect their space of if they don't want to receive the services as well, because they have the right to choose Hmm. if they, uh, want to be, uh, or have services. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a really, that's a really good point. Cause I'm going to kind of grab that last comment. Yes. And then one you had at the beginning, which was, you know, you, it's just subtle, but you said issues such as homelessness. I kind of yeah. wrote that down in my notes as yes. you were talking. Because I think I have to catch myself sometimes because I think we oftentimes use the word homeless yes. as an identifier versus an experience. Yes. Uh, and I think it, and some people might go, oh, that's semantics. But I actually think it's important mm-hmm. if we identify a person as a homeless person mm. versus a person experiencing homelessness. Yes. It's an issue that that they are currently struggling with. Mm. Um, I think what happens, like the person hears that in a sense. Yeah. And, and do they in, in, internalize that and personally identify that? So the caution there and then also what you said in the back end, which was. Yeah respecting their choice yes that at the end of the day because of their their dignity as human mm-hmm. beings yes they have a choice yeah can i pinpoint <laughs> on that because yeah you please made i love it i mean that was uh, you're spot on you're spot on even for myself that was in a homeless situation i've be, i have internalized in a sense of like is this my identity hmm. right there was some fight um within that to say wow how did i how did we get in that situation for one um, and what is going on in a, in a, I would say not only individually, but like in a greater system of how we got into that area because eviction was yep. that the process of us being in a homeless situation. Well, why is that? So that's why I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into, you know, the systems that, yeah. that be that, um, have us in the situation that we were in. Um, and then, so, but I wanted to, again, go back when it comes to identity crisis, right? When it came to, you know, me knowing that I was homeless and, but how other people may perceive themselves in those situations or scenarios, right? So when one um, perceives themselves as, well, this is just how it is, this is what I want it to be, then we should allow that because that is just something that they want to be in that situation of. And so thus, when I said in the beginning about like, you know, such as homeless, there are different things that happen in their life that made them be in a homeless situation. Society has a a big thing when it comes to people living in a house or renting a house, owning a house or renting a house. 
or what, whatever uh, place they, you know, choose or apartment owning or renting, whatever. Um, but when, when someone, you know, has some type of ownership and some type of privilege with that, sometimes people perceive the person that doesn't have a home as someone lesser than. Hmm. And so that's when, when I hear about the eternal peace or when I hear about them, you know, as far as with the privileged aspects of actually owning or renting, um, we have to be mindful and educate ourselves that the person that's not owning or renting is still valuable, that they can con- still can contribute to the community. Mm-hmm. And we have to be understanding of all that. So I, I may have went like a little bit back and forth no, with it, all that. It's, but It's, it's yeah. helpful because I think, um, you know, it's, it's a good reminder that like, regardless of someone's circumstance, yeah, they can contribute something. Mm-hmm. And, and I also think too, it's, it's a good reminder as individuals and part of the whole purpose of the no campaign. One, you said it education. Yeah. It's education, both of people experiencing homelessness that need services to understand those better, mm-hmm. but then also people that aren't yeah. to, to really understand, uh, their own prejudices yes. or preconceived yeah. notions. Because I think oftentimes, it's it's easy to project my experience yes, yeah. on someone else and like why wouldn't they choose this or why would they choose that when that may not be the right question. Right, right. And you know, maybe the question is better to listen to their story yes. as you said earlier. Yes. And then try to understand and be like, you know what, they made a choice. I may disagree, but it's their choice. It's their choice. And yeah. and I think that's part of the the nuance of, of this uh, this discussion as well. So there's another clip I want to play. This memory is just coming back to me as just like a moment of rejection, a moment of that we weren't worthy to be in the place that we lived at. But at the same time, this is still my community. I still belong here. You, you talked about like, and I think that was a, por- a portion of, um, of the, the video that's, that's on the website, which is, which is really powerful. I hope people go and, and watch the entire thing. Um, where you had just been evicted and, and you're kind of reflecting on that eviction as you go back into the community. Um, and you're just kind of like, I'm sure, tons of emotion every time, just kind of thinking about it um, and, and going back there or whatever. Um, but you, you hear in there um, that you, this is still your community. Yeah, yes. Help me understand that. Like, what did you yeah. mean by that? And like, what does that look like for you today? Yeah, I made a decision not to allow my circumstances overtake the situation or myself, you know, when that occurred. Um, and I'll, because one of the things that I've uh, mentioned over and over uh, when sharing my story is there was a sense of, well, I should have been the man of the house, you mm-hmm. know, because I, I was without a father for one. So that took away, you know, a certain income, you know, even though I was in school and, you know, doing what I needed to do as a 17 year old child. Right. Um, but at the same time, I had an understanding that if I was to just sit still and just allow this or, you know, be upset, be mad at the world and, you know, um, just went to a, a, the left, you know, pretty much and not, and not, you know, think positive or push forward, especially for my family. I, I'm the oldest child. And so I just had that, you know, protective nature and wanted to, you know, push for leadership, um, then, I would have still had that internalized, mm-hmm. right? And so when um, saying that, you know, I'm still wanting to engage with the community, I still want to be a great believer in the community, is because I actually do. You know, the community isn't just, you know, what we see out of the four walls of our house, right? It may be inside the home mm-hmm. and maybe other social groups and things of that nature uh, that I wanted to connect with and empower.
I'm a firm believer that I just had to open up my mouth and share this story for one, learn about what was all going on, like I've mentioned earlier about, you know, how we got in this situation um, and try to push forward in the educational piece, uh, hence what I'm doing right now in the doctor program. That's great. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think there, there's a kind of that clip later in the, in the, in the, in the video, you talk about you just, even your own experience going into the shelter with your family and just, I have to imagine, which was very traumatic and, um, almost like an out of body experience. And, And you explain like, not even wanting to talk about homelessness and the, the experience that you're facing because uh, of the the stigma mm, uh, mm. and that you didn't want to be, I think literally you just yeah. said, I didn't want to be a charity case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know I'm sure you've unpacked this with your, your siblings and your mom uh, over the years, but I, I have, I'm curious um, as you've talked with your mom, especially uh, the provider, you mm. know, in, in the video talking, she, I think you said she, she worked multiple jobs. Definitely. And that's, I yeah. think that's the other thing is like humanizing the experience yes. and then recognizing the, the hard work and the, the amount of effort that people you know, facing housing insecurity are going through. And then ultimately to be evicted Yes, because of systemic issues that mm-hmm. we can get into in a bit. Definitely, but, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Yeah. But how, how did, how has she described, like, how have you all talked about that and processed that, you know, that first moment of, mm-hmm. okay, what do we do next? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And like you said, it was a traumatizing experience because it was just right right after um, we left, we uh, went to a family friend's home, which can still be coined as being homeless. Right. Because you don't own it. You don't rent it. It's someone else's um, ownership under their ownership. And um, we're living in a space that doesn't feel like, you know, home because of that, the knowing that we living in someone else's home. Um, and so with that, it was still like, oh man, we can't be free, you know, do free things of what we want to do because the mixed culture in that family. Mm -hmm. So like maybe several months afterwards, we decided that it was best just to go ahead and be in a family emergency housing services, um, which is now called Volunteers America Unity House. Um, and we decided to go there because of what was actually known by my family friend. And that's why we went. Um, and we decided to receive help there. So yeah, it was, it was very, uh, traumatizing, uh, but we decided that it was best for us to not only acknowledge and accept, but push forward. So that way we can get the best help we can to make sure that we are secure in the future. Mm. So fast forward, because obviously that was, um, I think you said in the video, a senior in high school. Uh, yes. So you're not a senior in high school anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> you're that was a, years later. Yeah, yeah you're in a doctoral later. program. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but obviously it's had an impact in kind of your your current work. So talk to us a little bit about what do you what are you focused on? What are you studying? Um, and what do you what are you learning and, and what are you gonna do next? Sure. Yeah. So what I'm focused on right now is which I am in the education and social change program at Bellarmine University. And what I am learning is to understand about uh, youth, uh, and not only youth, but youth that are in homeless situations. And what I am trying to gain as far as with implementing programming is evaluating the programs that are actually helping youth. So I think, again, like when it comes to the first steps of actually not only knowing, but actually, you know, initiating uh, programs that are not going to be harmful, but, you know, going to help others progress. That's where I am learning how to, you know, do those little interviews, understand what they're going through. Because, again, there's a myriad of different things that happen 
when someone's in a, a, a homeless situation, right? Mm-hmm. We, we just, uh, even for myself, right? I can't just say, oh, I know what happened. I, this is what, you know, because this is what happened to me. No, you have to take a step back, evaluate. And that's what I'm learning in my program. And also learning what are, you know, what are some words that can be empowering, you know? Um, and, and what are some words that can, you know, kind of like, disenfranchise mm. an a individual or a group because we have to know that our words are very powerful the it, whether on all levels right is whether you're a, a you know a citizen or uh, someone in politics or someone that is doing research uh, or, or you know someone or that you're actually having a coffee with about the no homelessness initiative it, you know words are very powerful and the way you uh share a narrative or whatnot is very important. So that's what I'm learning in my program is to make sure that I don't allow the experiences that I had um, cloud up what other experiences were also had as youth that were in homeless situations. Mm -hmm. So because I don't, I'm a firm believer um, that and this goes back to why I wanted to, you know, connect back with my community and continue to Mm -hmm. strengthen it is that I'm a firm believer that I don't want to grow up into this person that still has this like just mad at the world, mad at my father, you know, mm-hmm. type because, I, you know, I could have been, you know, or mad at like, why did this person evict us? Because, you know, when this person evicted us, I felt like they pushed us out of their own like family group or whatnot, mm-hmm. uh, which I mentioned in a, a photo voice research project uh, with University of Louisville and uh, Speed Art Museum. Uh, so check that out when you have time. But um, one of the things for sure is that I had to make sure that I didn't put those um, those experiences back on the youth that are actually having those experiences mm. now, bottom line. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the power of story is something we, we talk about here. It's one of the reasons we want to do podcasts. Yes. It's it's listening and, and trying to explore new ideas and, and not assuming. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think that's that's really really interesting. I, I would be curious. So I want to kind of shift from okay, Marcus, kind of your experience. Who are you? Where are you coming from? And what are you seeing? So like in your studies, and obviously you know where we are right now uh, in the United States and in Louisville, Kentucky, with two times the national average on evictions. What are some good ideas? What what are some things like? I'm I'm hearing a lot, at least kind of in your in your research and such, like opportunities to listen, uh, and, and in a sense, like just true counseling, where a person's able to articulate their own experience and to be heard, to be seen. That's an important thing. Uh, but as we as we think about as a community, um, opportunities to support people experiencing homelessness. What are what are some things that we should be thinking about? What what would we what would you know if you were if you were in charge? What, what would be some things that we could do to really help uh, move the needle on this? I would have to say some of the things I've learned recently in the program and then also what I continue to press forward on is strengthening our cradle to career initiatives. You know, um, some there are programs out there on a, a local, a state and national level where there are programs to help, especially and obviously one of the biggest ones is, you know, in the school system, P through 12, P through 16, you have to strengthen the education system because there are different outlets within that education system that can be assets for youth, uh, especially youth that are in 
um, homeless situations. Mm. Um, do, you have, do you have an example of one? Uh, I believe, like, I think it's called Diversity Education and uh, Poverty Department in JCPS. Okay. I think we got to double check on that one. But that's one of uh, the departments um, that help, obviously, through P-12. It's a casting of a wide net hmm. um, to help youth. Um, and then I think there's others such as, I don't want to get this name wrong, but obviously we, we have to shout out the homeless shelters uh, that are actually doing it. Um, uh, so say, for instance, like Volunteers America's Unity House, mm-hmm. like I mentioned earlier. I think the Coalition for the Homeless, uh, Wayside. Um, Christian uh, homeless shelter Um, those actually help Um, and then also when it comes to maybe uh, oh like say for instance a shameless plug life development corporation Um, I'm on the advisory council um, for the organization and we do um, things like wealth uh, talk about wealth Um, and so we are actually having a what is a last year inaugural uh, conference wealth builder movement um, and then we're having it this year as well uh, wealth builder movement um, starting at September 4th through 11th so check us out there that's great mm-hmm. well I think uh, one of the things that was interesting you mentioned cradle to career mm-hmm. um, you know working through the school systems because mm-hmm. when you think when a, when a person or a family is experiencing mm-hmm. a hard times mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. oftentimes like how who whose whose circle of influence are they in and schools are a great way to spot those things. Yeah. Um, and there are, there are a ton of services Definitely. That, that flow through there where teachers and administrators can actually support mm-hmm. students as long as uh, they're, they're, you know, they're paying attention and, and kind of know what to spot. Definitely. Um, so, that's I, good. And, I, and I want to actually throw out uh, an act that I've still educated myself on it, which is the McKinney Vento Act, mm-hmm. which is a, a federal uh, act, but also is implemented statewide across the nation. Uh, definitely educate yourself on that because they'll it helps um, resource uh, places such as JCPS, such as the homeless shelters, to help youth that are in those situations, uh, such as in need of maybe transportation, yeah, uh, such as maybe uh, clothing or food, right, mm-hmm. um, and such as uh, things like maybe so, like social worker aspects of like making sure that there are you know say identification cards, addresses, because you know. Addresses are our biggest thing. If the if a homeless youth wants to work, you know things like that. I'm I'm sure there are connections with that. And speaking of you know labor, uh, Kentucky and a Youth Works yeah. program, awesome, yeah. awesome program that will help with cradle to career initiatives as well. I think you know it's almost like you teed up my next question, which was uh, <laughs> <laughs> which was related because we talked about it a little bit before the podcast. Yeah. But I think you know reframing it kind of as uh, in this in this section around like issue of homelessness. I think a lot of times, again, when they, when, when a person might envision in their mind, someone experiencing homelessness, we've Uh already talked about that, Mm -hmm. but then solutions to homelessness Mm -hmm. oftentimes are, you know, low income housing, Mm -hmm. which that's a part of it. Yes. But in your, what you just articulated with things like transportation vouchers, Mm -hmm. childcare, food stamps, um, uh, you name it. Uh, It could be any number. I think a lot of times, when people think about the solutions, mm-hmm. uh, it it's a very we envision very simple solutions mm. to a complex problem. Definitely, and I think when someone finds themselves homeless, it's not literally that a house is not available. Mm. It's something financial, something experiential, yes. something in their life that's like domestic abuse. Yes, that has occurred to them. Mm-hmm. 
that's happened upon them. Yes. And they find themselves homeless. So as we think about solutions, yes. we've got to look at a multiplicity of factors from Definitely. transportation to childcare to education uh, to just you know, counseling. Yes. You know, victims of violence that find themselves evicted because of violence. I mean, right. it's just insane when you think about it. It, it really is. And we, we have to take note on that. From the outside looking in, whenever, whenever I, you know, see like, uh, these are, how would I say it? Like, oh, we're, we're just throwing money just to throw it, you know, out there. And are we really catching? Are we really having a social safety net? Why are we, you know, throwing this money out to, you know, people, you know, that are in need? You know, there are some people with those type of views, um, but maybe they just don't understand because they have never either, for one, put themselves in that situation or scenario or have ever thought about that. And that's where we have to continue to push that narrative and share the stories because if someone doesn't know, they don't know. And maybe that's not even a fault of their own, right? If, but we, for the people that do know, we have to be as compassionate and caring to the people that don't know as well. And that's one of the biggest things that I uh, want to share on this podcast is that, you know, sometimes, you know, people that aren't as educated enough on what's going on maybe just have some levels of ignorance to the fact that it has been going on, especially before the pandemic. Yeah. No, you're right. And it's interesting because you reminded me there was a, a Brookings Institute study uh, on Louisville. I mean, this was several years ago, but they looked at, and I think just even the design of the city has allowed, or um, allowed is a strong word, but it's it's afforded people in East Louisville, for example, to not even actually interact with people experiencing homelessness or um poverty yeah. to begin with because of just how the the river snakes mm -hmm, mm -hmm. around our city yes and how so because like what brookings found was in normal circumstances a city is almost built like concentric concentric circles in the inner circle are government services in the financial sector and then it's generally ringed by social services mm -hmm. and the urban poor mm -hmm. and then you have the suburbs mm -hmm. but people work downtown so they actually have to pass through yes. in order to get to work. And yes. so they still see and experience and they acknowledge. Yeah. Like to your point, they yeah. they are forced to see and reckon with mm. the poverty among us. Yeah. But in Louisville, that's not the case oftentimes. Mm. Because a lot of times the poverty, because of structure mm -hmm. and because of historic racism as well, yes. mm -hmm. it's west of 9th Street. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, we can actually drive downtown and not ever see much of the urban poverty that is among us. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't force us to, and so I can almost ignore yeah, yeah. what's going on around me in a way it's like, mm -hmm. and, I, and I choose yeah. not to acknowledge or accept right, it. Right, <laughs> right. You know, some people can be blind to the fact that it's happening, even though they see it. Um, it, which is really strange. So <laughs> I, uh, it is strange. I can't cognitive, cognitive dissonance. I mean, it's just like this definitely to separate. Look, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna look over there, you know, and I don't, for me, I just don't, in my experiences, I don't know what that looks like on their end when it comes to that. So it, but it, it, it kind of hurts. Mm -hmm. it, it hurts honestly, because when you see something like that, doesn't that make you want to stop and question, like, why is this happening in my city? 
Why is this happening in my town? Why is this happening in my community? We need to do something about it. Yes. And that was one of the things just to go back to that play that video of like, you know, when I said, you know, I'm going to keep going forward. I'm going to uh, invest in my community. That wasn't some type of political ad of like, I'm going to, you know, like do this and do these great big projects and things of that nature. But it's it's all about small steps. It's about making effective steps at that, mm-hmm. um, meaningful steps at that, intentional steps at that, right? Um, and uh, impactful. And so we, we have to be more than just saying, well, I see it. What, what can I do? Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> like this is too much of a tall task. We're not... For for us, that is trying to connect with people to know, mm-hmm. right? There shouldn't be a, a sense of force. There shouldn't be a sense of trying to break whatever fragile aspects that that person may be having or that is going on, right? Because we know that it may be a touchy or whatever subject for them, right? But at the same time, justice can't happen without someone actually just breaking that mold, if you see what I'm saying. You have to break the mold. You have to break that level of comfortability um, and to let people know, like, hey, this is happening. This can happen to your neighbor. Yep. There have been people well-degreed, very wealthy, and, you know, very well-known that have um, fallen down the cracks well, and like you said, I mean, earlier yeah. we talked about medical emergencies or such, and, yeah. and many of us might experience that in our life, and we don't know. Yeah. And if you don't have the financial safety net to to overcome that financial mm-hmm. burden, or mm-hmm. just how the opioid crisis has yes. rocked our communities, and that's yeah. indiscriminate of yeah. income level, and many of those people then find themselves homeless, yeah, without a place to live because they basically have spent all their money on opioids, mm. and and then that's that were prescribed. Yeah, you know, so it's yeah. like so I think we've got to step back and I think what I what I appreciate is like one it's narrative and story it's it's putting the the dignity of the person at the mm-hmm. center of it yeah and sitting with that and saying okay what could we do about this and then acknowledging mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that there are a multiplicity of factors that have contributed to this yeah and then there are a multiplicity of solutions that need to help solve that. Definitely. Uh, even like eviction. I mean, like there are political oh, yeah. things. There are, you know, it's like one of the reasons we started the No Homelessness Campaign, and we've, we've talked about this a little bit, but in our research as we kind of launched into our housing insecurity stuff, we were finding that 20% of people receiving services at shelters in Louisville had an Indiana driver's license. Um, because they track it. Yeah, and, yeah, okay. And, and so when you think about 20%, wow. um, the state of Kentucky... Is yeah. is funding the services for Indiana residents? Wow! There aren't those shelters in Southern Indiana. Why is that? Now the mayors they'll they will actually do these studies like yeah. oh we have we need to have a task force to address the issues of homelessness. But every single shelter in Louisville will tell you I know exactly what it would take for us to set up a facility. We continue to get roadblocked by you name it, it and generally. It's some sort of uh, code restriction, some sort of uh, property restriction, and so what happens is like, yeah, we want to we want to help people experiencing homelessness, but we want it out past mm-hmm. the two sixty five, mm. and so you're like, well, wait a minute, the the people that needing the services are downtown. Yes, yes. And so and yeah. so, I think a lot of the the goal is as we listen and mm-hmm. educate ourselves around like why why does this happen? Yeah. 
can we just even begin to ask questions? Yeah. I'm not even saying like, because I think sometimes people get uncomfortable mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I think uncomfortable is okay. Yeah. I yes. d- <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause I think it's like, okay for any level of things. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I do think when people get uncomfortable, they pull back mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. what we want is how can we help people take small steps mm-hmm. and step into it? Mm-hmm. And yes, it's uncomfortable, but like even just asking basic questions yeah. and advocating for the sake of you name it. Yeah. Um, the uh, Center for Women and Families. Yes. They had to close down the facility in Southern Indiana, for example. Like, why is that? Right. Let's talk about that. You, you know, if we don't know what has happened in the past, if we don't know our history, we don't know where we're going. We can't push forward if we don't know the historical nature, the historical impacts, such as redlining, such what you said earlier, and the opioid crisis, um, even in the, the 70s and 80s uh, with the uh, the war on drugs mm-hmm. and who is that really targeting exactly. in, the, in that era um, and, and continuing. Um, and so when we don't look at the historical aspects of how this is kind of like infrastructurally, you know, been in, in the systems that have already been in play for hundreds of years, then ignorance is literally bliss. Mm-hmm. You know, th- the ramifications of what happened historically is why we are here today. But we have an opportunity to break those molds, to break the mumbo jumbo that's been <laughs> happening, right? When it comes to political jargon, right? And that we should have a bipartisan view and the this whole ordeal with, well, if you go this way, you're right. If you go this way, you're left. Well, we're not looking and humanizing it as this is a public health issue. Mm. This shouldn't have to deal with right or left. Um, You may hear a lot of times, I I listen to NPR politics every day, but one of the things that I've learned is that we're we're very much divided because of that politico-social ideology Mm -hmm. to say, well, if you go with this view, then you're you're that person or if you go for this view you're that person and we look at these policies and views that are trying to help people such as you know um what's going on with the american rescue plan and helping people out and you know creating a great infrastructure for people that are in need of it the most which is all of us as citizens u.s citizens but we tend to look at that as like oh it's just another spending bill that's just another way to you know just like what they call it, socialist, you know, lism views or socialism views and things of that nature. We have to really take a step back and look at why is that? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I, I 100% we could talk all day. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and I love it because like, honestly, let's do it. Let's yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think I think what you're hitting on is oftentimes is, is people talk about these issues and they politicize them. Yeah. Uh, it, it really dehumanizes yeah. the experience. And we don't actually ever arrive at solutions because yeah. we just continue to talk. Exactly. And I think what we want more than anything with no homelessness and, and as you and I are talking and the education you're doing at Bellarmine is for people to begin to ask questions, mm-hmm. to begin to put aside their preconceived notions mm-hmm. and their prejudices and to try to understand, mm-hmm. understand their own perspective yeah. and then understand their community and the people in their community uh, with a little bit more compassion. To learn more about the No Homelessness Campaign, check out knowhomelessness.com. And be sure to watch each of the videos where you can see also the entirety of Marcus's own story. And if you want to learn more about the Life Development Corporation that Marcus mentioned, 
And to register for the Wealth Builder Movement Conference, September 4th through 11th, be sure to follow them on Instagram and Facebook. And as I said in the intro, we're adjusting our format on More Than Profit to bring you a new episode each month. Stay tuned for next month and be sure to stay up to date by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, drop us a review so others can find us too. As always, I'm Bryce Butler with Access Ventures. Check out our work at accessventures.org. Thanks for listening.